this Pastor Rick. Welcome to On Demand. Today is Q&A day and we've got questions that people ask the pastor. I love these sessions. You know, Q&A is powerful because you get to talk about stuff that's kind of off the record, uh, off the normal uh, road that we're on. Uh, it's not a specific study. I do give some biblical answers, but it's really fun. So Q&A today. Stay right there. Enjoy it. I'll be back to pray with you at the end of it. Enjoy the Q&A. Questions you'll want answers to. Stay right there. I want to do something that's one of my favorite things to do. I wish you were sitting here with me, but I'd love to. Well, you are with me. You are. You're right there, right? I'm here. You're there, right? <laughs> but I want to talk about questions. I'm a big fan of q and I'm a big fan of people asking me questions and just answering the questions. Jesus did it all the time. I, I, the formal preaching stuff is nice. You know, you go through a sermon and you go a series or whatever, and I, and I do that all the time. But I think there's something about people just asking you questions. And so I have a list of questions that people ask me, and I want to walk through these questions. And each one uh, is, is good, I think, and I think it will be a blessing to you. So I'm going to put them on the screen, and then I'm going to respond to each question. Now, let me tell you why I like Q&A. I like Q&A because it reveals something. People think I do questions, especially if I go out and speak or if I do something with leaders. I like to say, tell me what you would like to ask me before I teach. You, what do you hope I cover in our session today? And their questions tell me about where their thinking is. So I want you to, to do me a favor. If you were to sit down and write it on a piece of paper, here are my top questions, the things that I really am thinking about. As a matter of fact, here's a little pillow game. You can email me those questions, by the way. It'd be fun, okay? Email me, pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. That's pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. Email me the questions. And say, hey, I saw your sermon, and I want to add, this is my question. And what, what I want you to look at is, these are the things that are on my mind. Questions reveal what you think about. And sometimes your questions tell you you're not thinking deeply enough. You're thinking about things that are really that, not that important. I have this little thing on my desk at the house that says, will this matter in a year? <laughs> and the answer is no. So why am I worried about it today? And sometimes we need to look at our questions and look at our concerns and say, hmm, I'm not thinking at the level I need to to get to where I want to be because I'm still thinking about stuff that's elementary. I'm still worried about things that don't really matter. Why don't they like me? They don't pay you. Why are you worried about that? Why are you overly concerned about those people not liking you? Maybe, maybe they have a reason. I mean, if they don't, then, you know, and it's a good reason, you know, change your behavior. No need to make people dislike you. But there are moments when you, you're thinking about things that don't really matter. You know, the kids are grown and gone. So you think about why don't they call you? Why are you thinking about that? Why aren't you thinking about what you could do with your time rather than why don't they call me? If you're not careful, your mind and your heart is wrapped around stuff that really doesn't matter. So let's jump in. You ready? Let me give you some of the questions I got. Number one, first question people ask me is how do you stay positive in this current environment? How do you stay positive in this current environment? Well, first thing is understand that you don't have power over the environment. You can't necessarily control everything everybody does or says around you. You know, during the pandemic, if you're watching it during that season, and if you're not, then God bless you, you're not. Hallelujah for you. But during the pandemic, what you learn is how a lot of people choose not to do right. They choose to do whatever they want to, churches included, pastors included, all of us. We have this sort of, I don't know, this doesn't apply to me rule. 
And so you can't control that environment. Some people choose to be negative. Some people choose to be uh, mean. Some people, you can't control the environment, but I can control me. Philippians chapter four, verse eight, gives you some advice. Here's what he says. Finally, my brother, finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put in practice and the God of peace will be with you. I love the way Paul says six times, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is good, pure, holy. That's where you put your mind. You have to get your mind off of the stuff you don't control. You have to become the kind of person that Paul says is honest, positive and teachable. A person who's who's not negative and worries, worried and dwelling on the, all the whatever's you don't control. Whatever is good, whatever is positive, whatever is positive, uplifting. I can't control the environment. The way I stay positive in this current environment is I understand this. I accept it. I accept what I don't have power over. I accept that I just I don't I don't have the power to control people. And so I tend to dwell on what I can do. If if you have an enemy, you can't. Spend your life thinking about the enemy. They've made themselves an enemy. There's nothing you can do about that. And, in, and the more well-known you become, you realize that there are people that, just, for example, that for some strange reason don't like me. I don't know why I like you. Why don't you like me? I'm a nice guy. But there are people who don't. They allow me to say things that are true. They pass rumors around about me that are hilarious. Let me see. One of the most amazing ones is, uh, let me see, that I asked for your W-2 form when you joined the church. Biggest lie ever told. Never. I would never do that. Ever. Never have. Never. Have never asked anybody that. And what's really amazing is that people have told people, he asked me, I've never asked anybody that. Ever. That person needs prayer. That's not true. Before God in heaven, when they stand there, God said, you know, you're lying on here at your temple. He never asked you for that. But there are people who say things that are amazing. There are people who judge what you have by what they did. Well, you know, I sowed my harvest, you sowed yours. You sowed your seed, I sowed mine. Mine had more fruit than yours, well, so be it. I mean, I'm not hating on what you got. Don't hate on what I have. So, but I can't think about that person or th that I can't allow that to dominate my life. And that's the mistake you, you fall, you trap you fall into. Whenever I, I speak to politicians or people in high office of authority, I often say, you can't dwell on that. You can't, because that's not true. Whatsoever things are true, honest, think on those things. And you have to make that mental decision. That's how you survive in a negative environment. Question number two, here we go. What are, what are, what are our greatest dangers during this season? <laughs> the greatest danger is lying to ourselves. Pretending you're one place when you're another. Not telling the truth. Lying to ourselves. I'm telling you, I, I, um, I am convinced that, and I've been convinced of this for years, that one of the biggest sins is lying. And, and in lying to yourself is a big sin against you. Because as long as you, you, you know, you look in the mirror and you see what you see and you tell yourself that's not true, you're just lying to yourself. James said that. If a man looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like, he's lying to himself. 
And I think that's a danger. So that's the first danger. Number two, fighting a, a unified enemy. This is the second danger. One of the, what the question is, what are our greatest dangers during this season? Number one is lying to ourselves. Number two, fighting a, fighting a unified enemy when we're divided. If you're fighting someone who is unified and determined to hurt you, and you are divided, our country is divided, if we're fighting in the case of the pandemic, if, you're, if, the, if, the, if the virus is united in its purpose and committed to its, its, its approach, you're making a great mistake being divided. We are making a huge mistake and have made a huge mistake. That's one of the reasons why it became so tragic. We didn't unite around the cause. We found petty ways to divide and it really hurt us. It hurts us politically, it hurts us economically. A, a divid, the Bible said a house divided cannot stand, a nation can't stand. Jesus said those words. If you, if you are divided, you lose. Third thing, third reason, holding on to old models that don't work in a technological age. That's a great danger during this season. So number one, lying to ourselves. Number two, fighting a unified enemy when we're divided. And number three, holding on to old models that don't work in a technological age. You're in a technological age. Streaming is one of those things. On demand is one of those things. And if you, if you fight against that, if you act as if, well, it don't matter, you are making a huge mistake. You should learn how to do email. You should learn how to, how to at least work a basic computer. You should, you should try. Stop talking about your age. That's nothing to do with it. You're smarter than you've ever been. That's an excuse. You can do better. And, and, and churches are notorious for running from technology. You can't run from it. God, God has forced us, forced our hand, if you want to reach people, this is the way you do it. One of the ways you do it. I ain't doing it. I'm old fashioned. It's called death. It's called dying. It's called going to the graveyard and putting your name on the, on the gravestone because you will become irrelevant. If you refuse to change, then okay. It's been nice knowing you. There's not much you can, not, not, there's not much God can do with rebellion. It, growth is part of what you pray for, right? Maturing is what you pray for. What, part of that is embracing the fact that we're no longer riding horses down the middle of the street. We're driving in cars. Yes, technological advancement. You know, there are times of change now. You have to evolve with it and, and allow yourself to do that. But, but some of us are running from it. And running from it hurts us. And so that's the second, that's a big danger. Here's number three, third question. What is hard for us to see during this season? Oh, there are two things that are hard for us to see during this season. Number one, how change happens. How change happens. Some people will change when circumstances change. Ch how change takes place. Let me read a verse for you. It's in Matthew 9, 14. I'm going to read this verse to you. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it then that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. Change doesn't happen until I leave. That's how change will happen. Some change doesn't happen until after something else happens. And Jesus said, it's not until I leave. And it's hard for people to understand during this season, it's hard for us to see that the only way God could get some of us to change is to 
leave us. And that's what Jesus had to do with the disciples. He led them for three and a half years. And then he said, OK, now to get you to the next level, I have to leave. And it's hard for us to see that. What's hard for us to see is that this is God's way of saying, OK, uh, church, you operated this way. And this is really hard to get for people. You, you know, you had Sunday services, you had all these crowds, you did all these conferences, you did all this stuff. And OK. And then, you know, Jesus, when he was alive, you know, they had big gatherings, 5,000, 4,000, you know, whatever. They had all these people, multitudes. He said, OK, but to get you to change, to get you to go to the next place, it's hard for you to see it until I leave. It's not until we lost some of our attendance in church, until we lost some of the money, until you lost. That's when some of us could see. It's hard for you to see until some things change. It's hard for you to see how change happens. They couldn't see it. And so Jesus said, once I leave, you'll see how it happens. You'll understand. Some of you, it's not until your mother died that you saw. It's not until you, change didn't happen in your family until. You can't see how change happens sometimes until things are forced upon you. And Jesus said, they're not fasting and they're not doing it. That's what they were asking them. He said, hey, these guys aren't fasting. These guys are. He said, they're not going to do any of that until I leave. And, and so change happens sometimes in a way that forces us. And it's not until you get to that place that you can see it. I wish, you know, when I was first pastoring, I used to pray for growth and pray for God to bless us. And that would have been a disaster. It wasn't until I got to another place, until I until certain changes happened. And Jesus said, don't worry, when I leave, they'll change. When I leave, they'll fast. When I, when I leave, they'll pray more. When I leave, they'll be different. For some of you, the death of your loved one, the loss of your loved one was a tragic thing, but it, it sparked a lot of powerful change in you. And if you embrace that healthy part of that, you can be a different person. Jesus said, when I leave, they'll change. And sometimes sad to say it's not until we come through something like what we've gone through that we're even open to change. So there's two answers to this question. What is hard to change for us to see during this season? How change happens. And number two, what we must change. It's hard for us to see what we must change. The old approaches will not work and will lead to ruin. There's a verse that says no one sows. This is powerful. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men put new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. I um. I don't know that I could see the new wine that needed to happen until after I'd gone through a, a, a tragic moment or a difficult moment. There's certain, there's certain seasons when things happen and you, you learn, oh, I, that's what needs to change in our church or needs to change in our family or needs to change in the way we raise our children and the way we teach the next generation. That's when we, we learn from the, the pain sometimes of pouring, trying to pour. I love this illustration Jesus uses. He says, you can't take old wine, new wine rather, and pour it in old wineskins. 
because when you do, the wine will exp expand and, the, and, and the, the wine skins will burst. You have to get new wine skins or new wine containers and pour new wine into new, new into new. You have to change everything. You can't just change the service times. You have to change the length of the messages, the way we teach, the way we communicate. You can't just change a song. You have to change the way you do worship. You have to change it. You have to change the schedule, new and new. But we don't like that. We want to change a little bit here and a little bit there and put the old. It's not like, no, we have to change everything. To change the way, and sometimes you want, you want a marriage or relationship. And says, so, no, you can't take the old way you think and you can't, you got to get a new way, new and new. I talk different. I love, I love different. I, I think differently. I embrace differently. I communicate differently to have a different result. If you go back to your old ways, you just all burst and falls apart and you never get anywhere. Tremendous thought. Mature change and sacrifice often shows up after a deep loss or ruin. And I've seen that over and over again. It's not until we try that old way and then, and, and then we try to do something new and something old and it just all falls apart. And now you go, OK, well, I see now I need to change. And I, 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 I'm convinced that that helps us. It helps us to change. Now, I got to move on. Number four, what is your dream for the future? My dream. Um, and I want to make this personal because when I was asked this question, what do I dream for the future? It's really easy uh, to get spiritual and to say a lot of things about I want to pray and get close to God. And, and I always stop people when they tell me that, when I ask them, what, do you, what is your dream for the future? Just for a moment, don't give me any super spiritual language. Let's assume all that's true, that you're going to be praying and get close to God. I want to know what your dream is for the future. So these are three things that I personally dream for my future. You ready? This is me talking. Ricky Temple. You ready? Number one, I dream of more consistency in my life. One of the things I fight all the time is inconsistency. I want to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. The tendency is to do it for a while and not do it, you know, consistently. That's number one. Number two, I dream of, of great breakthroughs in my life. There, there are areas that I want, to break, I, want to, I want to break through in. There are certain things... I want to break into opportunities. Um, and I, I really believe that the breakthrough comes through investment. So whether it be in entrepreneurial investment, real estate, or whether it be in uh, academic breakthrough, what I've been working on is investing in those things so that I can have breakthroughs in those areas that I want in my life. And, it, and, and I'll give you a simple example. I want to make sure that as we age, my wife and I, that there's a breakthrough in our relationship strength. I want to make sure that I continue to move forward in that. Because some of you are at that place where you need a, a relationship breakthrough. Where you're, you're not talking like you used to. You can communicate. You're getting lost in con conversations. You're getting these little petty arguments. You need a breakthrough. And some of you have been in areas of bondage for a long time. So my prayer is for God to continue to give me breakthroughs. And number three, I dream of ways I can build on what I have and not what I don't have. If I'm not careful, I'll focus on what I don't have. And that's a trap to dwell on what I don't have. No, no I want to build on what I do have and not focus on what I don't have. Clean up the house you're in. Take the time to fix up what you have and, and celebrate that. The car you have, go get it clean. Why? You know, build on what you have, the education you have, not what you don't have. Don't spend your whole life dreaming of another degree. Make money with the degree you have. Build on what you have, not what you don't have. 
Okay, I'm not against going and get another degree. I'm just making a point that sometimes you spend all your life thinking. Somebody said this one time to me about somebody who was so powerful. We we're trying to help this person. And they said to that person, Rick, that we're trying to help. Happiness is always on the porch. It's never in the house. No matter what you say, happiness will always be out there somewhere. And they will always say, well, no, that didn't work out. They're never, ever, ever willing to celebrate what they have in the house. So don't let, for you, don't let your happiness always be on the porch. Now, I'm going to close with two final questions that the staff asked me that I thought were fascinating. And I want, to, I, want to, I want you to think, I think these are really profound. Number one, the staff asked me, how do you balance your life with the dream for more and the need to be content? How do you balance your life with the dream for more and the need to be content? Now, this is a struggle that I've had throughout my life. And especially since I've been in ministry, I've struggled with this idea. Because one of the things that people tell you, you know, that you should be just happy with anything and you shouldn't want much. And if you pray for more, you're greedy. And God, God is not a God, you know, who's big on money. And you're all about money and you shouldn't be about money. And you, I guess I should be about broke. I mean, and I understand what you mean. You shouldn't be greedy and abusive. But I, I, the question they asked, it was powerful because I understood the, the root of that. There's a lot of struggle. As a matter of fact, this is one of the reasons why I think churches are so broke. I mean, they are. I mean, literally, they're broke. No, I don't have any money. They, they don't, no, the average church spends 45 to 50% of its income on, on salaries. I mean, and, and let's just say, uh, yeah, salaries. Just, just about that. And they spend 30% on housing themselves in a church, building light bills and all that. There are 75%, 80% just on two items. That's why they sell chicken. That's why they're always trying to raise money. That's why when they have an event, they got these, you know, you got to have these. I'm not against the brochures. I buy them, you know, the, 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 you got to buy, the, I guess, the ads. And then they got, they used to have little penny things, you know. It's always some way to get people to give. That's why some of them like to have so many services because they need to raise money. In every service, prayer meeting, they ask, raise an offering. Children's services, they raise offerings. They raise offerings and everything. You know, they, then <laughs> I used to, my mom used to go uh, to church. We used to go to church and she would come home late at night, fix potato salad, right? And they'd go and barbecue and sell the barbecue on the street. This is what we used to do to raise money when in church I was in one time in L.A. And then in order for you to get lunch, you had to buy back the food you donated. It was amazing to me. You had to buy, you had to buy back your, your, your potato salad that you brought and gave. The people who even, even was serving didn't get free food. It was amazing to me. I thought, wow, that's deep. But, but churches live in this tight spot financially and a lot of it's rooted in the way we teach people to think. And, you know, it's just, you know, it, it doesn't work. But anyway, here's what the Bible says. All right. Here's my answer to that question. How do you balance your life with the dream for more and the need to be content? You know, here's, because the Bible said, whatsoever, you know, be content with such things as you have. Paul said that. But anyway, here, here's the answer. I believe that more is OK as as long as more does not become a God, small g to you. Here's what Jesus said about more. John 15 and 16. You do not choose. You do not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. Important verse. I appointed you. John 15, 16. I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. 
God's goal is for you to be fruitful. And, 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 and he wants you to have abundance. He's not against that. And I'm not talking about you have to be filthy rich. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that either, but I'm saying that's not the goal. The goal is for you to not be in this needy state. I'm always amazed that Christians who are so strong in the Lord and always so, so much in need, they're always testifying about I, God just made it and I just got it. That's tied to something else. That's not tied just to the devil. That's tied to life choices. A lot of that is tied to life choices. I understand that, that people can be in a community or in a culture that is unfair to the poor and it keeps people poor and it can be systemic systems that keep people in bondage. I understand that. But most of the time, there are opportunities for all of us to break out, to have breakthrough. The question is, are you in this position because you never had a chance to break through? You never had a chance. Are you here because, because of the way you think? Is it because of the habits you have? Is it because you, when you do get money, you run in the mall and you spin it and you buy it and you smoke it up or drink it up or whatever? I, I mean, please, please be honest for a moment and say, is this because I made a decision? Most of my financial hardship is because of my ignorance and because of my naivety. Those things. I was naive. And I, I gave away sometimes too much. I, I didn't manage well. I tried, but I didn't know it was ignorance. So there's a lot of reasons. And, but I, I think at the core of the scripture, Jesus wants us to do well. So how do you balance your life with a dream for more? Go get more. But just don't make it a God. Being content does not mean, I love this, being content doesn't mean that you don't want more. It just means you, you know how to live where you are. Paul said, I've learned at whatever state I'm in to be content. There's something wrong with being content. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little expanded thought. I think one of the mistakes with churches or with everybody, not just churches, is business period. As you, there's this, this idea of next level, next level, next level, next level, next level, right? And so you're always trying to go to the next level, next level, next level. Well, the problem with that is when you get to, let's say, level 10, for some people, they need to stay at level 10. They got 100 clients. Their clients pay them. They got a good profit margin. They need to stay there for, you know, a little while, maybe two, three years. They may go like 105 clients, 110 clients, 120 clients. It climbs, but it doesn't climb super fast. It's not going to 300 clients. They don't need 300 clients because they're not able to manage 300 clients. So for them, they are a healthy level 10. So they meet somebody and say, go to the next level. You need to go to the next level. You need 400 clients. But it'll kill them because they're not the kind of people that can manage that many people. Same thing with churches. Some pastors don't need a whole lot of people. They need, they need, a, they need about, you know, about 50, 70, 500 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. But they don't need the hundreds of people. And, and so you need to learn how to be a comfortable whatever you are. It's kind of like your weight. You get to a point where some of you say, okay, I'm never going to be size 12 again. So, you know, size 8, I'm going to be a good, healthy 10. That's it. That's the level I'm going to be at. I can run, jump, hop, but I'm not getting past this number. There's some things in life you need to say, I'm content with being at this level. And what's funny is everybody has a level, no matter who they are. There's a number they get to and they can't, they really can't get past that number and be healthy. And so it's okay to be fruitful. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants your fruit to remain. But I think you don't need to make sure you don't let becoming more become a God to you. I got to close.
Last question. How can I miss the rest of God's blessing that God has planned for me? Can I miss it? You can. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven says this. So the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear my voice, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me through uh, the 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I, de I declared an oath on my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Ever. So here's the question. How in the, here's the question. How can I miss the rest or blessing God has planned for me? By being rebellious. You'll never enjoy God's full blessing. You'll never enjoy God's full rest. You'll always struggle. It's a constant challenge forever in your life. You know, I, there's, one of the sad things about success is watching people fail. One of the sad things is watching people in, be in places and you're sitting there thinking, man, wow, here I am and here they are. How did they get there and how did I get here? And that's what I'll talk about next week. The truth about how we got here. I'm going to take you to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 next week. And I'm going to talk to you about this whole idea. You know, the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. But that chapter is profound when you study the whole thing. And we're going to do that next, next time in our next study. And I'm going to show you how we got here. Because there's a lot of questions. How did we get here in this and during the pandemic season? If you're watching during that season, you remember it. Man, it's, if you're past that, God bless you. But boy, I'll tell you, how did we get here? How did we get to be in this place economically? How did we get to be so politically divided? Israel got to a place in Jeremiah 29 and, and, and the Lord speaks to them and says, I've got a plan for you, but let me tell you how you got here. And we'll talk about that next week. Uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it's been fun being with you. I pray you are blessed by the questions and the answers. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those who've heard the message today. May it inspire them, lift them, and encourage them to dream beyond where they are. I, I pray that the word of God would lift their minds and hearts to a new place. May they embrace the truth and embrace their future with confidence and faith and never allow themselves to be overly worried about life. May they learn to embrace you and your blessing. Now I also pray for those who don't know you as Savior, never given their lives to Christ. May this be the moment they do. May they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. May, may they say, this is, the, this is the beginning of a new day for me. I need God in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope I answered a lot of your questions today. I didn't answer all of your questions, but a few of them. And I hope you're more positive about life and have some specific things you can do to kind of move toward a more positive life. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the word today and all that we've talked about. I pray it's lifted the hearts of those who've heard it. May it bless them and lift them to a new place of confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if it blessed you, link it and send it to a friend. Thank you for being with us. I'll see you next time with more to talk about. We got some great studies coming. You don't want to miss them. See you next time. Bye-bye.